You're listening to the best of Morning Drive with Dietrich and White, an on-demand audio presentation of redpeachsports.com and ESPN977.com. Now here's today's show. Good morning, North Louisiana. What up? How goes it? Aaron and Jake hanging out at the Caldwell Banker Group One Realty Studio in West Monroe on this fantastic Tuesday morning. What up, Jake Martin from Washington City? What's up? How we doing? Good. John Tabor running the board for us, like always, back at the Sports Talk 97.7 headquarters in Ruston. Plenty to discuss over the next two hours. Of course, your calls, your texts, always welcome. 888-993-7762. It is called the Stuart Shelby text slash hotline. Go to stuartshelby.com for a free quote. No, you're fired up. You probably have to take a little bit of a nap this afternoon because you got the Warriors and the Pels tonight in Game 2. Game 2 is tonight. And got to tell you, this is one of those games where really have to be a lot more aggressive than they were in the first game. Yeah. I think Anthony Davis has kind of said that in his comments leading up to this game, saying, look, even if the shots aren't falling, we've got to do other things. We've If... if his shots personally aren't falling. He's got to go to the offensive boards. He's got to set screens for teammates. And that's that's exactly right because you're going to need all hands on deck to beat the Warriors. And you could very well see Steph Curry out there hmm. tonight. He is probable. So just go out there ex- expecting him to play. But, yeah, man, I, it would be huge, absolutely huge, if they could steal this game away from the Warriors. They're going to have to play with much more intensity. They, they can't have any, and I mean any, lapses on defense. You can't let them go on that run in Golden State or else it's over. All it took was a second-quarter run, and that was ball game. So, yeah, got got to be nearly perfect to beat them in Golden State. All right, here are the numbers. In his final 27 games of the regular season, Davis averaged 31 points, 12 rebounds, three blocks, while being held under 20 points in only two of those contests. Of course, that pushed him into the postseason. He had 21 points, 10 rebounds, and three steals in that 21-point loss to Golden State on Saturday. As Jake mentioned, his quote, and I'll read it to you uh, in terms of getting more effort. It's not often you hear a player say he needs to give more effort, but here's Davis's quote. For me, I think I've got to play with a little more effort. If I can't get those shots to fall, going to offensive rebounds, screening for my teammates and getting them open shots, there's a lot of uh, times where we had, we were just out there playing random basketball and it wasn't working for us. I've got to get us in some sets and make some plays for others. Hmm. I like it. Yeah, and, and that's the truth. I mean, you, I'm just looking at it like recalling the, the first game. When the Warriors went on that run in the second quarter, it just felt like the Pelicans were just covering up and not not actually doing the proper things to stop the run. Like, it just felt like they were just shell-shocked and just like, whoa, we haven't seen anything like this. So I'm hoping that, like, after seeing it in person, after feeling it in Golden State, in the playoffs, I know they played them multiple times this year, but actually seeing it in that playoff environment, hoping they can settle down, actually just go out there and play their game. That's the biggest thing, play their game. They do like to speed it up, and they do play really good defense, which I think you can have some success against the Warriors, but it is kind of playing into their game. They like to play fast too. But I think the Pelicans can match that pace if they follow up with the defensive effort. It also says a lot about Anthony Davis's maturity. Yeah. No, I, lo- I love that quote from, yeah. from Davis. And he's been a, a captain of this team. He's been an MVP, a serious MVP candidate. And, uh, yeah, this is the guy that the Pelicans, you know, fans have called to love. I mean, he is one of the best players in the NBA. And the best play- one of the best players in the NBA has to own it, and he did. You mentioned Steph Curry, of course, trying to come back from the spraining his left MCL on March 23rd. Yes, he is probable. And uh, according to Steve Kerr, said he scrimmaged on Saturday with some of the guys that came in, guys that don't play as much. He came out and looked good. Talked to him afterwards. It came out well. He's feeling good today and went through the whole practice. I'd be very surprised if he didn't play. Hmm. Well, expect Curry tonight, then. We had uh, one other NBA playoff game last night. Yes, we did. And, Aaron, Scary Terry is very much a real thing. Terry Rozier had 29 points last night after his fantastic series. 
against uh, Milwaukee. He comes out in game one against Philadelphia, scores 29 in that 117 to 101 victory against Philadelphia, who everybody was kind of crowning as the Eastern Conference champions, really. Uh, everybody was kind of anticipating them going to the finals, myself included, with the way they've been looking down the stretch of the season and the way they looked in the in the opening round. But last night, you know what's crazy is Brad Stevens, as young as he is, mm. proved yet again that he is one of the best minds in basketball. Mm. You, you just look at that game. So Jason Tatum is matched up with J.J. Redick. That makes no sense. So J.J. Tatum absolutely it, exploits the Redick uh the Reddick matchup, and he scores 28 points. And uh, then you look at, you know, Philly. Yes, they shot it bad, but ultimately I thought it was a lot of the strategic, you know, I thought it was the philosophy of Brad Stevens that really um, helped the, the Celtics win this game. Things like moving Horford on the perimeter and taking Embiid out of the, out of the paint. I mean, that was huge. And, you know, Philly tried to counter later on in the game by putting – Ben Simmons down in the post, and he was – I think if you put him down in the post, I, I like that strategy. But make him a little bit more aggressive. Make him be more offensive. I think he was trying to share the basketball from down in the post, and they just weren't hitting shots. So this series is long from over, but Boston getting that game one victory and Terry Rozier going off like that, it's just like you can't help but tip your cap to Stevens. I mean, he's doing this without Kyrie and Gordon Hayward. Yeah. Imagine what he could do with those two guys. So it's pretty crazy. Also, uh, I know you enjoyed the part where the Boston fans got involved and, of course, had a oh, couple man. barbs and a couple parting shots directed at Ben Simmons. Well, we, we've, we've loved this story. We've talked about it quite a bit. So Ben Simmons goes to the free throw line, and the crowd chants, not a rookie. Ah. Of course, referencing the fact that Ben Simmons is probably going to win rookie of the year. This is his second year, but it's his first year to actually play. Now, Donovan Mitchell who could also – who was right there in the running, and Donovan Mitchell was fantastic against the Thunder in the opening round. He tweeted – as this happened, he just tweeted some laughing emojis. And uh, then there was a video on Instagram of the actual, you know, getting booed, and he commented on that too with, with some, some other emojis. So I love that there's still some shade back and forth between these two because they are battling it out to be rookie of the year. And, uh, man, you're talking about two great players. Like Donovan Mitchell, a lot of people found out that Donovan Mitchell is as good as advertised. I think a lot of people just heard about him because not a lot of people watch Utah basketball, let's face it. But actually seeing it in the first round against the Thunder, people were like, yeah, that dude is worth the hype. And, of course, you know, if you've been following basketball, you knew what Ben Simmons did this year. So, yeah, the future of basketball is bright. Ben Simmons afterwards says, I don't care. It doesn't affect me at all. <laughs> The Boston fans yelling at him. Yeah. Not a rookie. Not a rookie. <laughs> what a champ. Aaron, our Astros. Yes. Give me the Astros update. Our Astros snapped the Yankees' nine-game win streak last night. Yanks only had three hits. Morton struck out ten, only gave up two hits in seven and two-thirds innings. Mm. The Astros defeated the Yankees two to one last night. Mm. Uh, a couple of quick uh, Text here from uh, Quinn. Of course, you can weigh in at 888-993-7762. Quinn says a game seven involving LeBron couldn't match late round NFL draft coverage and TV ratings. What does that say about the current state of the NBA? And what does it need to do to improve? Huh. I actually thought uh, that game seven had great ratings. We'll have to look it up again. But compared to the draft, perhaps not. Well, I don't. So for me, I, I think that if you're looking at the NBA ratings, I think they're fine. I think they're going to only improve as, especially if you get to like LeBron versus the Warriors again. I mean, that's no brainer. They're, they're going to kill those ratings. But if you're looking at it against the NFL draft, the NFL draft blew them away this past week. But that shouldn't shock anyone because right now, what are we thirsting for? We're thirsting for football. And so you got the NFL draft. Yeah, I'm going to watch that over any game, really. So I'm not surprised by that. I, I don't think you can even panic if you're NBA. The Astros won. Took it to the Yankees. <laughs> yeah, the Astros won. Other headlines on this Tuesday morning. Baseball playoffs continue in the high school ranks. Uh, Schubert with a 4-3 to three win over Anacoka. We were checking out the, the baseball now brackets. And uh, Northeast Louisiana uh, doesn't have as many teams as we expected or thought. No, it's not like softball. Yeah. It is not like softball. So, 
Yeah. And the majority of them, of course, will take the field later this week on Thursday and Friday. Yes, and Claiborne Christian's taking the field today. Mm. They will play at 4 p.m. They're they're hosting Episcopal. And there is a little bit of a scheduling tweak, or it's a little different deter- just determining what class that they were in. Because uh, some of them are playing best of three, then there's others, one-game series, including in Class 1A, where uh, all the high higher seeds actually have to go on the road. This is... The LSUSA is so jacked up. Like, it's so – why not have everybody have the same – I can understand lower classifications like Division Five and so forth not playing a three-game series. Mm-hmm. But then you've got, like, Division Four. they're playing a three-game series, and yet 5A and 4A don't have a three-game series to start their play. Like, it's just so messed up. It's so weird. Not only that – but in different classifications, you have different rules. Like, for instance, if you look at 1A, mm-hmm. they have three, their top three seeds, LaSalle, okay, LaSalle is the number one overall seed. Mm-hmm. They're traveling to number nine Delta Charter. Mm-hmm. It's that same old rule to where if the team you play upsets another team and wasn't at home and you're the higher seed and you were at home, then you have to travel to play that team at home. But there's only one uh, problem with that with uh, Delta Charter was the fact they've only played one game so far. They actually had a first-round bye. So they only went on the road one time. So now they get rewarded with a home game against the top seed. Exactly. <laughs> but then you look at, you know, like 4A, for instance. Uh, let's look at West Washita. They just hosted South Terrebonne. And South Lafouche, the number four, West Washita is the number five seed. South Lafouche, the number four seed, just hosted Riverdale won that series, and so West Washtenaw has to hit the road and, 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 and play number four, South Lafouche. Or you could really the better case would be number one, Brobridge. Mm-hmm. They were just at home. They beat North DeSoto in two games, two-game sweep. Benton, the number nine seed, upset number eight, Bell Chase, on the road. So if this was the same type of rules, they would then host Brobridge. But instead, they're still traveling to Brobridge because that's how it should work. If I'm LaSalle, the number one seed, I'm not happy. I'm going on the road. And, of course, uh, Delta Charter has an opportunity with one game to knock you off and end your year. The same with Oak Grove as the number three seed. Exactly. they got to go to Maryville. And then, of course, the number two seed, Grand Lake, also go on the road. Uh, Logan Sport does hold serve as the number four seed. They will actually be at home versus Kentwood. But three of the four, the higher seeds, on the road in this round, the state quarterfinals. Oh, the LHSA. 888-993-7762. Still working on that interview with Eddie Bonine, too, Jake. That's going to happen <laughs> okay. soon. He'll be on the show very soon. Yeah, no doubt in my mind. <laughs> it's all part of the starting lineup brought to you by Louisiana Painter. The starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. Are you crying? The starting lineup. Are you crying? <laughs> the starting lineup. There's no crying. Let's get to the starting lineup. Uh, look forward to catching up with Lady Texas head coach Mark Montgomery. I don't know if you know this or not, Jake, but they have won 17 of their last 18 games. They win two games this weekend in El Paso. They are the regular season conference champs. Ooh. 17 of 18. Wow. Pretty hot. That is really hot. Gus Cattingale, he'll be hot. He'll have his spicy takes on the NFL draft coming up at 8 o'clock. Lane Burroughs from the Diamond Dogs will join us for his weekly visit at 8.30. On the Diamond tonight, we got ULM versus Grandma. Warhawks are not hot. They have dropped 10 of their last 11 games. Of course, they lost to Grambling earlier this year. Over at Grambling is the Tigers' first win against the Hawks, I believe, since 2012 or 2013. Grambling has an opportunity to have the two-game sweep against ULM if they can take care of business tonight on the road. Yeah, this is a big one. ULM's got to shake back. Uh, also, we're going to do a best and worst NFL pick? Yeah, we'll take a look at the NFL draft, look at the who, who had the best picks, five best picks, who had the five worst picks. Uh, I have my list together. Do you? Is Danny Etling, is he one of the worst picks? I, I imagine it would be for you. Is he on your list? No, but we do have some sound from Danny Etling coming up. Later okay. All right. Good good to hear you not bashing Eight 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 nine nine three seven seven six two. The morning drive is off and running. 
little follow-up here. Uh, Quentin was bashing the uh, NBA ratings, but I look here. According to ESPN, ABC's Cav Pacers coverage Sunday generated a 5.4 overnight rating. That was actually up uh, 29% from last year's comparable game with Jazz and the Clippers. Who's going to watch that in game seven? But anyway. Uh, that uh, Cavs-Pacers Game 7 was the highest-rated first-round matchup since 2004 when Kobe and Shaq squared off against Ming in a Game 7. Hmm. Yeah, I'd say that's pretty good. Uh, they also pointed out, for whatever it's worth, that uh, they actually did pretty well this year in the ratings. The league's regular season attendance was up on ESPN, ABC, TNT, NBA TV, and on all local networks. Yeah, the NBA continues to thrive. It's just whenever you try to – it's all relative when you're there trying to compare it to the NFL. And especially when you're comparing it to the NFL draft. Huh. Again, it's been a couple months since we've seen football. We'll take anything football at this point. Mm, good point. All right, speaking of taking anything football, <laughs> so the NFL Network, they certainly know how to capitalize on it, right? So now that the NFL draft is behind them, they got to turn the page and, of course, keep everybody interested. And they're coming out. And this is a well-produced, and, and they put all the bells and whistles into it. The top 100 players in the NFL. Yes, they do. Let me run through those that list real quick. Yeah, they've uh, they what released the first 20. Released the first 20. I'll go through it real quick. At 100, Ha Ha Clinton Dix yeah. of the Packers. Uh, he is down actually. He was 77 in 2017. Uh, 99, Doug Baldwin with the Seahawks. He is a bit down from 88 last year. So they're kind of like projecting it, too, when they say the players of 2018. Yeah, yeah. Um, 98, <coughs> C.J. Mosley of the Ravens. 97, Carlos Hyde, now of the Browns. 96, Malcolm Jenkins of the Eagles. 95, Lane Johnson of the Eagles, tackle. Uh, 94, Kirk Cousins, now mm. the Vikings. He's down from 70. Mm. Uh, 93, Mike Daniels. So he gets that big contract and he loses money. I mean, he loses a spot. He, yeah, he loses some momentum. Yeah. Uh, 93, Mike Daniels. He didn't have a great year last year either. It was it was okay. Uh, Mike Daniels of the Packers, uh, 93. 92, Landon Collins. This is a big slide. He was 28 uh, a year ago. Um, <clears throat> David Victari, uh, uh, the guard from the Packers at 91. At 90, Jimmy G, Jimmy Montana, Jimmy Garoppolo mm. of the 49ers. 89, I was kind of surprised to see this. Jimmy Graham. Yeah. From the pa- now with the Packers. What year? Yeah, what year? Is this 2015? What, what version of Jimmy Graham are we talking about? Uh, uh, Yanaki Ngaku uh, is at 88 for the defensive end for the Jaguars. 87, we got a local tie here. Andrew Whitworth. What did he end up last year? You know what? I don't even think he wasn't ranked last year. What? Isn't that crazy? I mean, all the credit, I mean, for solidifying that offensive line and protecting golf. I think that's what made people pay attention to him more. Yeah. They probably looked at him as an aging veteran last year, mm-hmm. and then to see, or two years ago, I should say, and then to see what he did last year with um, the Rams and the way he was able to come in and help fix that dumpster fire mm-hmm. of an organization. Yeah, that, was, uh, that made people look and go, okay, yeah, that was the biggest offseason move of the year. 86, Chris Harris of the Broncos. Uh, 85, Bruce Irvin of the Raiders. 84, J.J. Yeah. Watt. J.J. Watt with the slide after, of course, being injured last year. But uh, if you're projecting, yeah. I think 84 is still. Maybe they're just like, maybe he's got to stay healthy. Maybe they're projecting he's going to get hurt again. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 83, uh, Linval Joseph, the defense tackle for the Vikings. And here we go. The reason why we're even talking about yeah. this. Number 82, Marshawn Lattimore. Of the Saints and 81, Michael Thomas of the Saints. So I, I need to see the rest of the list, but that feels low to me. Mm. Does it? Does it not feel low to you? A little bit, yes. I mean, I get it because Marshawn Lattimore was a rookie. You know, you want to see if he can continue to progress, and I understand that. But Michael Thomas, man, I don't know. Last year's list: uh, Brady was one, Miller was two. Julio was three. Antonio Brown was four. Khalil Mack came in at number five. Odell uh, was at eight, if you're curious. Ezekiel yeah. Elliott, they had at number seven. Hmm. So their list will continue. Are you all in on their list? I, I enjoy it. You know, we like lists. Yeah. 
I think Whitworth, and you know, a lot of be made of his age. He's embracing it at this point. Though. And when we get him or we chase him down eventually, uh, I think if he, you know, dyed the beard a little bit instead of having all the gray in there, it might no. help his cause. Embrace the gray. I think that's what he's doing. Embrace it. Yeah, I'm about it. Thomas Morstead will not be on the list, but we certainly visited his visit to Northeast Louisiana. Of course, he was on the show. We talked to him about several different things and, of course, caught up with him later on on the TV side. And we talked about the difference between this year compared to last year and expectations and how they had changed. You know, the Saints coming off those three consecutive seven and nine seasons, a lot of people didn't have high expectations. There was a lot of, you know, the glass is half half full kind of talk. You know, well, it's going to be another seven and nine year. Then the Saints go out and have the season that they've had. Now, of course, the expectations and the bar has been raised to another level. And that was the question addressed to a Morstead. Is he starting to feel, does it feel a little bit different from the previous years going into next season? Yeah, look, I think I think the uh, every year there's a different set of expectations. And last year the expectations probably were not as high as they are this year. And so we've exceeded expectations when they haven't been there and we've not met expectations when they have been there so I think the real thing that we have to do as a team is just um, just have to realize that what happened last year though you are trying to build off of that you, you kind of start from scratch you got to start over last the work you did last year was for last year and um, we have to start off with that same hungry mentality uh, about trying to prove to everybody that we're a good team and that um, you know that we can do something special and nothing's given so we we've got to I think if we can attack this season how we attacked last season I think we'll have a great shot to do something special um, but that takes every guy really believing that we have to you know you got to start over and you have to you have to build the team chemistry will be different this year than it was last because there'll be new guys and so you don't just pick up where you left off it's it's totally like building a new house again and we got to we're building the foundation right now Thomas Morstead on what it'll take for the Saints next year to make a Super Bowl run. Uh, we buried the lead for this uh, NFL segment. I know you were worried, but it does appear Tom Brady will be coming back for another year. Oh, man, I was so believing those reports that he was really thinking about not coming back. Leave it to uh, Jim Gray to get to the bottom of it. Yeah, what's your... what's your yeah, uh, Jim Gray, man. How's that guy still collecting a paycheck, man? What's your beef with Jim Gray? Jim Gray is just... Yeah. You've got to give a reason. Uh, he comes uh. across as pompous. He comes across as arrogant. He literally, uh, the whole sham that was the, the big announcement, the decision, that was his kind of brainchild that he went to LeBron with and said, hey, this would be a great idea, especially if I'm the guy up there asking the questions to you. So now the decision is Jim Gray's yeah. fault. Well, he did approach him. I Four or five months beforehand, says when you're ready to do it, we can do it right. We'll have a sit down, me and you. Oh, brother, yeah. come on. LeBron, you like Jim Gray? I don't care. I just like I don't have a strong opinion about him. Yeah. I, I'm just like okay, whatever. Well, anyway, Jim Gray uh, and, and Brady obviously are big buddies. They do this Monday night thing where he, he tries to interview him at halftime, and it's just these generic questions he tosses at him. Well, anyway, they they were at some. Uh, conference the milken institute milken institute global conference in california yesterday oh <laughs> i know that place very well so uh, a couple of questions were posed to uh, tom brady and of course uh, he talked about the fact yes he wants to come back but the biggest newsworthy part about this was the fact that it literally sounds like brady doesn't feel like he's appreciated mm -hmm. by belichick that doesn't surprise me Oh, I thought we had a clip. Sorry. No, I'm trying to find the uh, – No, the what they said – they asked him that. Uh, Jim Gray asked him, does he feel appreciated? And he said, I plead the fifth. Yeah. And he was kind of laughing about it and just said, come on, man. Yeah. So it, it was this playful. Is what, uh, he asked that, man, that's a tough question. I think everybody in general wants to be appreciated more in their professional life, but there's a lot of people that appreciate me – way more than I ever thought I was was possible as part of my life. You have different influences in your life, and the people I work with, they're trying to get the best out of me, so they're trying to treat me in the way they feel is going to be the best out of me, and I've got to get the best out of myself. There you go, Tom Brady. He plugs for me. Yeah, we got a couple of texts here about your boy, Jim Gray. Okay. 
Do they like Jim Gray? His attack on Pete Rose was enough. Exactly. How did I forget about that? Thank you. Who, who Can I that, finish the text? Who is that smart listener? Can I finish the text? His attack on Pete Rose was enough to make me dislike him. And Aaron agrees. Matt says, Aaron is just mad because it wasn't his idea. That's true, too, Matt. Good point. Yeah. All the times I've come across LeBron, I would have uh, yeah, said, hey, LeBron. Didn't they, <laughs> didn't they raise money for, like, Boys and girls club. Boys and girls club. Yeah. Yeah. So at the end of the day, what allegedly, are we, what are we allegedly. upset about? Oh, come on. Anyway, Jim Gray. You remember what a production that was? It I was, do. Yeah. It was, it was an hour. It was. Yeah, it, it was, was horrible. It was agonizing yeah. because we were just like, we just want to know where he's going to yes. play ball. Uh, the attack on Pete Rose. How did I forget about that on the field? Yes. Well. And it just wasn't one question. It was relentless. It was hmm. like a pit bull. All right, well. Tom Brady, though, we can rest easy. He is uh, coming back for another year, even though his relationship with the Belichick may be a little icy right now. Yeah, I would say that for sure. Just the whole thing with his trainer. Yeah, that's, I was looking that. for Gray's follow-up question about his trainer. I don't think he asked that question. Oh, leave it to Jim Gray. <laughs> Man, Barry and Jim Gray this morning. 888-993-7762. Before we go into break, uh, coming up in the next segment, we're going to do the, the five best and worst picks from the NFL draft. And we had a lot of fun yesterday, and a lot of uh, LSU critics are also having fun with this. The fact that Danny Etling is a draftable quarterback. And not only draftable, he's picked up by the Patriots. Eat your words, Aaron. So uh, here's Danny Etling, WAB and uh, Baton Rouge, tracked him down after the draft over the phone and got this response from him on what it was like when the phone rang and it was Bill Belichick on the other line. It was incredible. It was uh, greatest feeling you know I've ever had playing this game. It was it was uh, just so much hard work that has gone into it over the past few months to keep training and keep getting better and keep improving. And uh, it was incredible. It was a great feeling. There's a lot of highs and lows that go on with football, and that was as high as you can get sometimes. So it was it was an incredible feeling, and I'm excited for the new opportunity. And I'm going to go work hard and and make sure that I can continue to improve and continue to become the player that I want to be. Uh, I couldn't I couldn't have asked for a better person to uh, be in the share room with than, than Tom Brady because he's the greatest quarterback to ever play the game, and it's it's incredible to, to even be in the same room with him. So I'll be very excited to just sit and watch and learn those everything that makes him so great and uh, just continue to try and be a sponge and, and learn everything that, that it takes. Danny Etling, the newest New England Patriot. That feeling was almost as great as when they beat Alabama. Oh, stop. <laughs> Matt says, that whole production is the main reason why I don't like LeBron. Yeah. Talking about the decision. Uh-huh. I actually did a project on that uh, for one of my public relations classes. It was called, like, When PR Goes Wrong. Man. And, and to dive deep into that, because you remember, not only was it that decision, but shortly after that, they had that little press conference where they said, not one not two, not three, and that's when everyone started to hate LeBron. When LeBron came, became the villain. Mm. Clint says the money was raised for a club in Greenwich, Connecticut. <laughs> Those boys and girls clubs in Greenwich are, are struggling. Stop. <laughs> Let's get the break. 888-993-7762. The Morning Drive is back. Happy you. Welcome back to the Morning Drive. i uh, got a couple texts here I want to address. 888-993-7762. You want to read the one from Daniel? I think he makes a, a great point here on uh, the NFL Network's top 100 players and just how difficult it is to make the top 100 best in the league. Says, have to look at the averages, 32 teams. Each team's number one and number two players. That's already 64 players. Having those both in the top 90 means they would, on average, be the third best player on any team. Considering the talent on each and every roster, even the sucky ones have a star or two. Think Joe Thomas with Cleveland. Why is it always when you say sucky, everybody relates it to Cleveland? <laughs> I wonder why. That's still pretty impressive, he says. So top 100 player list gives each team's three players, basically. Mm. Mm. Uh, also, uh, some out there want to know what we're doing for Top 10 Thursday this week. Good question. Oh, yeah. So, that is a good question. Should we do? Should we carry the momentum from the NFL draft and do Top Does the momentum carry from week to week for Top 10? <laughs> I'm saying 
since we're still. I don't even remember what we did last week, so I don't even know. We did a mock draft. Oh, okay, yeah. Oh, yeah. I I wasn't talking about. And I got four right, by the way. You got three right. Oh, okay. I thought it was four. And uh, anyway, I was saying because we're still talking about the NFL draft, we're about to talk about it right here. Mm -hmm. I'm saying if you wanted to do top ten NFL drafts of all time, top ten draft picks. Mm. I don't know. Or, or we're open to ideas. You can help yeah. us out here, 888-993-7762. I think Quint wants us to do top ten opening round playoff performances, NBA playoff performances. Wake me up. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, we're open to ideas. Hit us up. All right. You were supposed to be the draft expert. You did all the research, and you ended up getting out of the top ten two right, and I got three, correct? Yeah, technically, but we've got we got three of the players going to the right place. It was just in different order. Hmm. But yes, but yes, two. I got two. You got three. All right. So they did some research. They reviewed uh, forty notable mock drafts uh, slash uh, shows. The average number of first round hits getting the right player with the right team was three. Three of thirty two. This is the whole first round. Yes. But for the second straight year, congrats to the NFL Network's Daniel Jeremiah. He had the most hits because he got eight right. (laughs) Wow. So these so-called experts, though, sadly, 19 of these mock drafts hit on two or fewer, including two went 0 for 32. Yeah. Aaron, you're obsessed with this whole thing. No, I just say it's hard. We knew going into it. I mean, when Peter King only uh, hit one right. Who didn't? Peter King. I thought he got at least one. I mean, he, yeah, that's what I said. He got one right. Oh, I thought you said couldn't get one right. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> gotcha. All right. You ready for this? What are you laughing at? Read the, the text we got there. Jake's top ten most embarrassing moments leading up to puberty. Yeah. That'd be a great segment. Yeah. Great one. All right. That coming from Matt. Thank you, Matt. Thank you, Matt, for that. All right, so let's go positive here. We've been a little negative here early in the show. Best draft picks of this year, 2018. Okay, I'll start off. Okay. Uh, Baker. I think that was the best pick that Cleveland could have made. Really? Better than Sam Darnold? Yeah, by far better than Sam Darnold. This is why. They they messed it up, and we'll get to worse later. Okay. But the they overall. could have had Baker and Bradley Chubb. I mean, come on. So then you have an anchor on both a franchise player, you hope, on both sides of the ball. Well, in one draft. and you hope that Miles Garrett's still that guy, but you pair Chubb up with Garrett, come on. That is that is that that makes you instantly have one of the best pass rushes in the league. And then on the Baker side, I, I have so much confidence in him. I really feel like he's going to be – a really good NFL quarterback. Now, I'm not saying he's going to have a great rookie year, especially with the Cleveland Browns, but I'm saying in time, he's going to be a really good player. So, I What is I he love more likely to be? The MVP of the XFL or the MVP of the NFL? Okay, that's not fair. You could say that about a lot of people. And I and for a lot of people I would say XFL cuz NFL, we really only have like five real candidates. Brady, Breeze, you know. I mean, we're talking Aaron Rodgers if he's healthy. All right, well, let's lower the bar. What's more likely to happen? He'd be the MVP of the XFL or a three-time Pro Bowler? Over his career. That's still a dumb question. Not really. Yeah, it is. So you're saying what's more likely? Let's let's rephrase that. What's more likely? He drops down to the XFL. Yes. He's a total bust. Or After he's a three-time years, Pro Bowl. Two, I'll two, go three-time three Pro Bowl. Yeah. Yeah. And plus, it's easier to get into the Pro Bowl these days. I like uh, the pick of Sam Darnold with the Jets at number three. <laughs> this is like a golden opportunity Why? for him because he's got Josh McCown. He goes in there. This is a real ultimate team player. He gets to learn a little bit under him. And then he's got to look over Teddy Bridgewater. You know, he's there also. Maybe he can feed a little bit off of him. I just like Sam Darnold. I think it'll work out well with the Jets. You're not concerned about the turnovers. No. Dude, he could not take care of the football Mm -hmm. in college. What's he going to look like in the NFL on Sundays? Mm -hmm. You think it's just going to all of a sudden get better? In the pressure of New York? Mm -hmm. 
Because I don't want to hear any of this. Oh, he was under a lot of pressure. Everybody had him under a microscope. What do you think it's going to be like in New York? But you go on the flip side, and you think, oh, it's going to be all rosy with uh, Baker Mayfield in Cleveland. That. I didn't say that. But I think he. you look at him, he's, he's the most accurate of the quarterbacks. He has elite arm strength. He's can move in the pocket better than all of those, except for Lamar Jackson. But, you know, if you're talking about intangibles, yes, he gets that check mark too. Give me Baker. It's a no-brainer for me, honestly. Well, let's go there when we talk about uh, the best uh, draft picks of this year. And uh, you have to look at Lamar Jackson, of course, at Baltimore. Is that one of yours? I just jotted it down. <laughs> you were only supposed to have five. Oh, sorry. <laughs> scratch it I'll up. I'll have to scratch off Trey Quinn from the Redskins. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, uh, I like that pick a lot, too, just because. Joe Flacco's not happy. Well, he doesn't have to play immediately, and I thought that would be the best-case scenario for Lamar Jackson. Give him a situation where he can continue to learn. Don't thrust him out there to where he relies solely on his athleticism because that's only going to get you so far in the NFL. Let him continue to develop as a passer, and I think in time. That's kind of why I loved the whole Saints idea, of him learning from Drew Brees, mm-hmm. him getting to have Sean Payton over him. I think that could have worked, but – yeah, I think it's a it's a winnable situation, and, and I do like that pick. Mm. Uh, other picks that we liked, or at least I liked, certainly uh, Roquan Smith, the linebacker from the Bears. Ooh. That's what they needed is somebody to find their defense, and they're getting a good one there. You know what? I completely missed that one. That that should have been my top five. Cause that's I, what I'm here for, Jake. That is my uh, favorite pick of the draft. I, I just think he's he's that good. Like mm. I think he's going to have the best NFL career of all of these players. And, again, I said it when he first got drafted there, Chicago, going to Chicago where, I mean, linebackers are everything. Mm -hmm. And this is the next great linebacker. I love that pick for Chicago. So tip my cap to you for that pick. Oh, thank you. Uh, I also like uh, my guy from Iowa, Joshua Jackson. What did he leave he the fell country? He pretty far. Uh, what did he go in the second round of the Packers? Second round, yeah. So that, that is a second round still, no doubt. Um, I had Bradley Chubb with Denver. I know it fell in their lap, but good for them for not still wanting to trade out. Good for them for realizing, hey, we can have Chubb and Von Miller. You know, on and supposedly Elway was wheeling and dealing because he, he didn't was. think Chubb was going to be on the board. Then he falls right in his lap. He's like, all right, we'll take him. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll gladly take him. So uh, that was a no-brainer. But, yeah, that was still up there. Another no-brainer, but I think it's still worth being considered as one of the best draft picks because it's not flashy, but it's what they needed. Quentin Nelson with the Colts. They needed protection up front. They didn't stray away from that. They went with Quentin Nelson. Good for them. Mm. The one difference maker in this draft, and I think everybody agreed, besides Chip, Barkley. Saquon Barkley? Sure. The Giants got him. The Giants did get him. And that's that was tough because really they could have went three different ways. They could have went with the quarterback of the future, they could have went with Chubb, or they could have went with Barkley. So now it's on Eli Manning's shoulders. It's on Eli Manning's shoulders. But you also have now have two of the most exciting players in football on your roster. Mm-hmm. And, man, that should sell tickets. Go see Saquon Barkley and Odell Beckham play. I mean, that, that should be fun. But does it make them a better team than getting a Bradley Chubb or, you know, investing in the future? All right, two-minute drill. Coming down to the wire here, how did we not mention Shaquem Griffin, of course, to Seattle? Joins his brother over there. It's a feel-good story, a heartwarming story. And plus, he's a pretty good little football player from Central Florida, and they only had to spend a fifth-round draft pick on him. Yes, he is. I got a couple more picks, too. Derwin James falling in the lap of the Chargers at 17. That is a steal. They got away with robbery. Uh, and then I had to put Darius Geist on here. Redskins, he falls all the way to the 59th overall pick. Yeah, I got I got guys on the list. And I joked about it earlier, but Trey Quinn, everywhere he's been except for LSU, he's put up record-setting <laughs> numbers. Whether he was crushing records in the high school ranks at Barb, leading an unbelievable comeback versus West Monroe to where he's at SMU and what he did there. I mean, the Mr. Irrelevant pick, the last pick in the NFL draft, that's a pretty good pickup by the Redskins. You got to really – hammer LSU the first 45 minutes of the show. How's that hammer? That's just, that's facts, though. It is a fact, but, you know, everywhere he's been but LSU. 
he's been, you know. Uh, those are some of the best picks that we thought from the 2018 draft. Coming up later in the show, we'll go a little negative. The five worst picks. That, well, that's our. It was a little bit more than five we did for the best. That's our forte, the negative, right? That was at least our nine best picks there. Yeah, it was. 888-993-7762. It's the Stuart Shelby Hotline slash text line. Let's take a timeout. Coming up next, we'll talk a little college softball. The Red Hot Lady Texters looking to win a conference championship this week. Mark Montgomery joins us after the break. Welcome back to the show. There's a great story unfolding over there in Ruston. It involves the Louisiana Tech softball squad as the Lady Texters have won 17 of their last 18 games, and they have an opportunity to win a regular season conference championship this week. The man in the middle, Mark Montgomery, the head coach of the Lady Texters, joins us in the Stuart Shelby Hotline. Coach, how are you doing this morning, bud? I'm doing well. Good morning, Aaron. All right, 17 of 18. Uh, how good does that feel to go to the ballpark every day? You know, each game's a new game, but it does feel good knowing that the girls are playing that well and, uh, you know, having a lot of fun and, and feel confident. And, and uh, you know, it just obviously uh, the little things just seem to keep going your way and everybody's doing the little things right, and, and it, it makes a big difference. At the beginning of the year, we talked about the high expectations for this team. And, of course, uh, you mentioned to us numerous times that talent-wise, you were very excited about what you had coming back. But we also, and you pointed out, too, that it was going to be difficult at the beginning of the year with the schedule that you faced. Uh, you did have some bumps and bruises along the way early on. How did you hold this team together and kind of get it rolling there in the midseason? Well, I think it, it partly, you know, anytime you're playing that high level of talent and playing it competitively, it wasn't like we were getting beat bad. It was, you know, every game was close. I think eventually they just started learning how to win some of those games. And then when you do that, you start feeling more confident. And, and then our hitting seemed to get better and better. And once our hitting really hit its stride, now all of a sudden all the other aspects of the game, which we were doing well defensively and pitching and, and then, you know, um, being able to manufacture some runs with some, you know, stolen bases or, you know, hitting runs or bunting runs and that kind of stuff. All of a sudden it, it all just started clicking right when we hit conference play and, what a good time for it to hit. Was there a major turning point in the season where it all came together? Well, I think so. I actually, I, I think we, we went into North Texas, a spot where we've done really well. I think we'd been 10-0 and against those guys and, and uh, just, you know, got beat in the first game, just flat out got beat. And then ultimately played pretty well in the next two games that everything that could go wrong went wrong. And and we lost, so we kind of walked out of there with our heads down, and and we're zero uh, and three, and uh, you know all of a sudden two promising series, that, and then that one, and 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 now we were simply you know four and five in conference, and I, I don't think the players thought, man, we're much better than this. We got to do something, and and then just all of a sudden things just started flying after that. The, uh, the attention to detail and the work and, and uh, some of the stuff that they've been doing all of a sudden magnified itself. They started doing even more, and, and lo and behold, it, it started paying dividends on the field. A little bit of a schedule quirk last week as you jumped out of conference play, and, of course, you played a two-game series against Utah State and of all places of McKinney, Texas. How did this all come about? Well, you know, we had our Conference USA schedule and our bye week was just so late in the year. Um, you know, us and Marshall were the only two teams that had a bye week that like next to last weekend. And there's just not too many people you can play. In fact, we were even considering playing Marshall at a neutral site and then uh, um, ended up talking to the Utah State coach and they had their bye weekend then as well out in the Mountain West. And we were trying to figure out where we could meet up to, to make travel and stuff a little easier. And uh, they decided that, you know, we they could fly to Dallas relatively cheap from Salt Lake. And, and I said, well, we'll take care of all the other details if you guys can just fly there. And we played at the uh, home of the former Dallas Charge in the uh, National Pro Fast Pitch. So we were able to play at a professional stadium. And uh, that really enabled us to – to have the venue that we needed to have. And then, um, you know, I talked to uh, Kevin Shelton, who runs the ball fields at Craig Ranch up there in McKinney, and and uh, they had a tournament that weekend, and he made some arrangements so that the tournament would shut down when we were playing our game, and that would allow a lot more fans to come over. And we set up an autograph session and stuff like that after. 
and it just ended up being an amazing crowd. I think we had, you know, like, you know, 2,000 plus people there, and it was wow. just a, a great venue for softball. That'd be awesome, then, and then for the the student athletes also get be rewarded with that kind of crowd. It had to feel like a big time environment for them. Well, it did, and and of course, you know, that's what you want to try to create. You know, last year I, uh, we went into Alabama for the regional, and and all of a sudden, first time we're probably seeing a couple thousand people in the stands, and I don't know that the kids were really ready for that. So the fact that you could create that kind of energy and that kind of environment, at least now, they they've seen a stage similar. To what a regional stage would be like, and I, I think it'll help if, if we are able to make it that far. All right, final week of the regular season. It feels like the season has certainly flown by. You're making a trip out to El Paso, I believe. Uh, you've crunched the numbers. You win two games. You're the regular season conference champs. Yep, that's that's it. Uh, the magic numbers, too, whether it's, it's our wins or their losses. But, uh, uh, you know, we go in with a, a, good, a good place to be, and, and we're really proud of that. But but we're not mistaken. El Paso is a very difficult place to play. They, uh, they've got a nice uh, uh, home field advantage. Uh, I think they're, they're pretty having a down year as far as I'm sure they're concerned on the road. But at home, they're still, I think, you know, 12 and 6. So uh, that's, they're still really tough to beat there. So we're going to have our work cut out for us. I know you're concentrating on winning a regular season championship and then a postseason title, but have you crunched the numbers in terms of your RPI? Yeah, I, we we probably needed to have done a little bit more work earlier in the season. You know, a couple of those games with big opponents, uh, the 2-1 to loss to LSU or the one nothing loss to A&M, either one of those games we win, that may have been enough, or a couple of the losses to some lower-ranked teams if those had been turned into wins, I feel like there would have been a real shot for us to have gotten in at large. Now, I, I don't know. I'm not going to rule it out. Um, you know, we're we're setting at 60s. We're probably going to have to get down into the 50s. But, you know, if we win out and then make it all of the way to the championship game and then lose that, I'd say there's a chance just based on our our schedule and who we played as well as uh, – you know, some how close some of those games were, and, and then the way we ended the season by winning so many. So, um, you know, but that's in the hands of the committee. We want to try to keep it in our hands so that we, we take care of our own business and get there. Coach, good luck in uh, El Paso this week. Hopefully we're visiting next week as you guys are the regular season champs and getting ready for the conference tournament. That sounds great. Thanks, guys, very much. Thank you. Mark Montgomery, Lady Textures head coach, joining us on the Stuart Shelby Hotline. Uh, staying on the diamond, of course, we've got a big ball game in the college ranks for uh, baseball with the ULM versus Grandma and I, a game that, of course, the Warhawks desperately need as they are in the midst of a horrible uh, streak here, losing 10 of their last 11. Grandma, of course, looking to beat them for the second time this year. In the high school ranks, uh, gearing up for a big, big week. Got started uh, last night with the Sugar winning a squeaker over Anacoka, 4-2-3. As you look at the brackets, Jake, uh, what are we looking forward to the rest of the week? Yeah, uh, <clears throat> real quick, I, I want to say um, this Friday, Shugent will play Hornbeck. They will host Hornbeck at 6 o'clock after that win. But if you look at looking ahead to the other brackets, uh, West Washita at South Lafouche is a really, really big, big matchup because you got number five versus number four. Um, it's difficult to win down south. We know that, and it's really difficult to win at South Lafouche. But West Washita is a team that has a lot of success on the road this year. If you look, they've had wins at West Monroe, at Neville, at Sterlington, which was a really big one, and they've even had success uh, in all these, uh, you know, tournaments throughout the state. And so. That's a really big one. I wouldn't and count. the fact that they have a three starting pitchers and you play a three. That's always series. the big deal too, because you know I've heard a lot about South Lafouche Ace. I think he's a, a commit to Baton Rouge Community College, and you know West Washtenaw will count, counter that with Luke Honeycutt, who is signed with Louisiana Tech. But then you get deeper into the series, and you know West Washtenaw can trot out LSU commit Thomas Wilhite. They can trot out Peyton Parker, who has mm -hmm. been fantastic this year, and they've got arms coming out of the pen that have been very good, Caleb Rutledge and Logan Hagen. So they have a deep pitching staff, and that's what's going to make West Washtenaw a tough out this postseason. If you look further uh, in 3A, 
Sterlington has looked very, very good through the first two rounds. In fact, they have yet to give up an earned run or any runs whatsoever. Obviously, they have no problems with Wasman in the first round. And then against Pine Prairie, they win that series uh, three, uh, first game three to nothing, and then the second one six to nothing. Yeah, Trey Rugg and Adam Tubbs threw back-to-back uh, shutouts. And it's kind of like uh, what Mark Sims told me yesterday. It's hard to be better than perfect, and they've been pretty dang good this year, uh, especially in this playoffs. Now, if you look at Erath, a lot of people probably anticipate another steamroll from Sterlington. But, and the reason why they probably think that is because Sterlington beat Erath 17-7 to earlier this year. But if you look at that game, it was actually 7-7 to in the sixth inning. And it was day three of a tournament. It was their third game, and Erath was out of pitching. And so, you know, I was, I was talking to Sims about that. And he said, if you look at that score, you'll be fooled. He said, they were one run away from beating us. We know that. They know that. This is going to be a very, very good series. So he's he's expecting a really good matchup with Erath. Uh, you go further down, uh, go all the way to Division Four. Real quickly, uh, Division, I mean, in Class Two uh, A, uh, Winfield has looked very impressive as a number six seed. They had a shutout in the opening round. Then they went to three games against uh, Springfield, and then went a slugout in that game, uh, fifteen. To 11 they are advancing on as the number six seed they will square off against welsh they will be going on the road um, and besides that uh vidalia still in the hunt as a number nine seed also in class 2a in division four we got robbed of the ocs cedar creek matchup we all wanted but ocs will host catholic uh this this uh thursday actually they'll start this thursday at 6 p.m but in looking at this series, it's all about can Catholics slow down those hot bats of, of Washtenaw Christian and can OCS keep that offensive production up? Because OCS beat Ascension Christian two games to one. And, you know, the, the one game they lost, they lost six to four, but they won the other two games ten to nothing. So they still have that high-powered offense going into the going into this series and uh, – We'll see if, if Catholic can slow them down. We mentioned earlier in the show in Class uh, 1A is three of the top four seeds will go on the road in the quarterfinals, and these are only one-game series. Delta Charter still in the hunt as a number nine seed square off against LaSalle. Yellow Grove is a number three seed. They will go to Maryville, and uh, then the others, of course, not from this area. But uh, three of the four going on the road, one-game series in 1A. And Division Five, uh, Claiborne Christian will play Episcopal of Acadiana today at 4 p.m. So there you go. There's your uh, softball and baseball previews. 888-993-7762. Coming up next, a fired-up Gus Cattengill from ESPN New Orleans as he breaks down the Saints. And, of course, we look forward to game number two versus the Warriors in the Pels. The morning drive on Sports Talk 97.7 returns after this. I'm Steve Weisman with NFL. Thanks for listening to the best of the morning drive with Dietrich and White. To listen live every day, tune in at ESPN977.com or subscribe in iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you find podcasts.